this week on Moms Moving On. I think it's important to talk about it first with your children before you show them who this person is, right? It's sort of a, a preview. Hey, I, I've met someone. Hey, I'm, I'm seeing someone. I, I might be dating them. Your children actually don't care about you in that relationship. Children always and, and always will center themselves in the center of their universe. Right. And so they only want to know how your relationship will impact them. <laughs> and benefit them. <laughs> and benefit them. True Are story. there toys involved here? Yes, 100%. <laughs> Life moves on, so why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. Thank you so much for being here. Today we have a beautiful lady on who has actually been here before. She was a guest just before the end of 2020, and now she's back with us this summer. She's Rebecca Amster Cantor. She's a lawyer and therapist. And what sets her apart when dealing with divorce and co-parenting and families is that she's both a family lawyer and a marriage and family therapist. Her wisdom, strategy, and compassion for the children and families involved in the divorce process put her at the top of her game. What's more, her attitude towards divorce is extremely refreshing. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited to be here. I'm happy to have you because I knew when it came to this topic that I wanted to discuss today, probably nobody better to speak to than you, in my opinion, and probably well, in the opinion of most South Florida legal professionals. Ooh, that's heady stuff. Thank you. You're, you're a big deal, Rebecca. Can you give us a little background for those who are just meeting you for the first time? Sure. So I went to Cornell University for undergrad and got a degree in human development and family studies. And that's important because um, kids have always been my thing, the thing that I'm most interested in and how children develop and, and how they grow and how families develop has always been something I've been interested in. Then I went to law school and always and always worked on um, family law matters. And then when I opened my own law firm, I simultaneously opened my law firm and went back to school for a master's in marriage and family therapy. Um, again, always being focused on children. And since 2003, I have been focused completely on child advocacy. And so I don't represent adults in their divorces, but rather I work for the advocacy of the children in their parents' family law cases. And you do a fantastic mm. job as, as I've heard, and as your reputation stands, and this is where you're perfect to talk about mm. what it's like, or what we need to know about co-parenting children with special needs. I get this question a lot in my DMS and in email, you know, my child is not a typically developing child. What am I supposed to do? And I'm like, you know what, that's a question for Rebecca. So I want to talk about this both from the, what to expect perspective and how to make things easier for your child and for each parent as you navigate co-parenting? Sure. So big questions. And, and one of the things that I think happens when parents learn that their child has a, a special need of, of whatever kind it, it might be, um, is that there's often a moment of grief or sadness because parents have ideas when they're having children about who their child might be and and 
you know, cute little fantasies about playing soccer with their child or catching a baseball or singing and dancing and seeing their child in a theater production. And depending on what need your child might be diagnosed with, sometimes some of those dreams um, have to go away. And that can be pretty devastating for parents. And so there's that moment that comes that that that's really a tough adjustment for parents as well. And I, you know, I, I think it's important to honor that and, and respect that. Yeah. And and then what comes to mind for me, like with any child you're co-parenting, is that feeling for a mom, especially of that loss of control, you know, feeling like your mom duty has been stripped away because you're not there to wipe every tear and kiss every boo-boo. And then you up the ante with a child who has special needs if there's a an IEP or a 504 plan or specific guidelines that are sure. meant to be implemented all the time. And you don't know if that's going on. For sure. Right. And and is my child receiving the medication that they're supposed to be receiving daily, hourly, or whatever? Or is my child being taken to their occupational therapy sessions or or any of kinds of those things, you know, as moms. <laughs> We, we make the trains run on time in our household. And <laughs> when you have a child with special needs, sometimes those trains have to run to the minute because if there's a disruption in schedule, it could be devastating for the child. And, and yes, that lack of control or knowing everything in that moment can be really, really challenging. Yeah. I, I, and I think about even, you know, my own child who is otherwise a typically developing child even for her, a disruption in the way things are done caused her a lot of anxiety at the beginning of co-parenting. So I think, you know, what we really need to know are what are some things that parents can do at the start of the divorce process while they're creating their parenting plan and as they're adjusting to co-parenting that can, that can take the pressure off and really remain child-focused and meet the needs of the kids best. So one of the things that I always recommend parents do is sort of um, try to maintain two, two thoughts simultaneously in their brain. Um, and, and thought number one is my child has some very specific needs and we need to make sure that we are addressing those very specific needs. And thought number two is that those needs may change over time mm -hmm. and we need to be ready to adjust to those needs, mm -hmm. whatever they may be. Um, and there are cases that I've had where a child progresses in their development. And while their delay might be significant, the child will move from speech to crawling, to sitting, to walking. And all of those things may be two or three years late, but the child continues to progress. And so those parents need to be prepared to celebrate those progressions and to change medical providers as needed or therapists as needed to address that that change and that growth and de that development. On the other hand, I had a really, really tragic case where a child suffered from a degenerative disease and the child got sicker over time. And so the parents had to address those cascading and differential needs as time went on. And it was, you know, that that case was devastating because the news was always worse. Right. Um, and it was just really, really hard. So that was um but again, it's really about paying attention to the child's needs as they change and being ready to do it. And that's that's a tough push-pull, but it's something that parents need to try to address. It is a tough push-pull because from where I stand and, and the stories that I hear with some clients who are struggling with this topic is... Dad doesn't really think, you know, this is a problem and is not 
agreeing to help make transitions easier. I, I, what I see is that transition time is tends to be like the thing that tips all the scales because children are sensitive to transition and change, especially children with special needs in some cases. And I'm wondering if there's a way that we can prevent that sort of disconnect in what the child needs ahead of time. Is there stuff we can put in the parenting plan so that there isn't this this push-pull against what the child actually needs or what the father or mother thinks is right? So I think one of the things that can be really useful in the parenting plan when transitions um, is challenging is to, first of all, try to minimize them. So do, do as few transitions as you can Given your child's schedule, given your child's needs, right? How how well, much wait, do we, that hmm. that begs a different question? What should the schedule should the schedule be more of the two two three like I have, or should it be week on week off for consistency purposes and less transition? That's a great point you make. So that's an even bigger question, right? Um, because <laughs> so many because questions. I, there's a lot of questions. Um, you know, I, and, and, and listen, you know, I think questions are great. And I always, you know, I come from a place of curiosity and a, and a place of strength. And so the more questions you ask, the the better we can figure things out. If you've run out of questions, you've given up on your ex and you've given up on co-parenting. And it's so important to continue to be curious and continue to ask questions. So if I'm thinking of a child who maybe is neurodivergent, who therefore could be a little bit less mature than some of their peers, then when we think about a 223 schedule or a 225 schedule or an alternating week schedule or something that is not a 50-50 schedule we often think about meeting the the age need of the child smaller children or younger children generally do more frequent transitions so they have more contact with each of their parents more frequently if you have a child who is emotionally immature for their um, calendar age, you may be doing more transitions to meet that emotional need. If you have an older child, you may be doing fewer transitions. If you have a child with significant medical needs, you may be talking about a timeshare where one parent's home is equipped to meet the child's medical needs and the other parent's home is not. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of that is, is the question about how, how you are going to meet your child's needs where they are. Um, and which parent is prepared to do that. Not all parents are prepared to do that. There's a lot of cases with children with really significant medical needs where one parent isn't prepared to meet their child's medical needs. And so that child remains with often the mom mm -hmm. um, and the other parent has, has timeshare, has visitation, but it may not even be overnight depending on the child's medical need. Right. So would you say it's critical to have more help than just your legal team when when dealing with this situation? Absolutely. Um, you may have a legal team that has had experience with children with special needs in the past. It's not unusual. Most lawyers I know have had at least one or two or, or 12 cases with a child with a specific need. However, um, only your child's medical providers or mental health providers or, or therapists know your child best. And, and they are on your team. Well, they're on your child's team. They're not mm -hmm. even on your team. They're on your child's team. Mm -hmm. um, and, and parents should listen to them. And parents should hear not only the needs that your child has, but also you know, celebrate the achievements your child has made. It is a big deal when your child 
meets a developmental milestone and it doesn't matter what age that is. It's a huge deal when a kid walks. I don't care how old the child is. It's big and it should be celebrated. It should be. Hey guys, Michelle here with a word from one of our sponsors. The Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, thanks to Soberlink's wireless technology, which delivers test results by text message or email to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Flexible schedules combined with real-time delivery results make Soberlink the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology. For a limited time, get $50 off your device by emailing info at Soberlink.com and mentioning Moms Moving On. Drive safe. Wait, 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 wait. Before we do anything, I have to ask, have you not joined the Moms Moving On membership community yet? This is the place I created for anybody looking for the benefits of coaching without having to commit to a high coaching fee. I've rounded up my go-to experts to put together curated content just for you, including free monthly webinars with me, self-confidence boosters, co-parenting tips and strategies, heartbreak advice, divorce anxiety relief, legal advice from top U.S. attorneys and mediators, financial advice, ebooks to help you on your journey, journal prompts and worksheets, discounts for all my favorite brands. The list goes on and on and on. And all of this at only $9.99 a month. Yep, you heard that right. $9.99 a month to be connected to women all over the world who are going through exactly what you're going through and to connect with me. Go to momsmovingon.com slash become a member and join us today. So what are some things that are um, the most beneficial for the child when you are looking at, you know, long-term parenting plans? Like what, what should we really be considering instead of arguing over, you know, the, the nitty gritty, what are the big major concerns that people should take into account in this situation? (laughs) So overarching themes would, of course, be stability and flexibility. That's right. So you have to sort of think about being a rubber band. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would consider if the parents could put in place a long-term commitment to a specific school, if your child has a specific need. So if your child, let's say, uh, has been diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum, if you as parents identify a school that will help meet your child's needs around that issue, um, there should maybe be a commitment to be in that school for as long as possible so that the child has the stability of the same teachers, the same staff, the same therapists throughout the course of their childhood and young adulthood. That's huge. That's a huge one. It really is because finding a school for your child when they have special needs is challenging enough. And then having to agree with um, your spouse every time the question comes up or there could be a change would be pretty challenging, I imagine. Correct. Absolutely. And also children 
get so much stability from their school. They do. They do. It's such like a a home base for them, I feel. You know, it really is. I I can't tell you how many times we're like away on vacation and my little one is like, but I miss my classroom because it's it's really where they consider their second homes. And it's important, not just for us as parents saying, oh, no, this is the better school or I think this is the better program, but where they really feel comfortable and can thrive. Absolutely. And if you think about your child's waking hours, right, the vast majority of them are really spent in the school building with with the people who are there. Yes. God bless these teachers. I'll tell you, my my very best friend in the whole world is a seventh grade English teacher, and I think she needs to be nominated for sainthood. Yeah, um, that's a tough age, huh? A tough age. And she's an amazing teacher and she's an inspiration every day. I just, I have nothing but amazing things to say. Well, shout out to your friend. (laughs) Um, Something that comes to mind for me, I was a special education teacher in New York. And when we would have parent-teacher conferences, I would be accompanied by who the special education coordinator was at the time, potentially a behavior therapist, depending on the child's needs. And we would go over the IEP and the goals for the year. And very often only one parent would come. And I remember thinking this is way before I had ever gotten married or had kids, but wouldn't this be like important for both parents to listen to? That was just my mind frame, especially learning what I had learned in school. So is there a way to ensure that we keep both parents involved in things like this as we're preparing the parenting plan? So that's a really good question. Um, And and I can speak to my own personal experience. So um, when I was still married, to the father of my children, who, by the way, is a really good dad. I would be the one that would attend my child's IEP meetings. My children are gifted and we would have that meeting. And and so I would be the one who would attend. And then I would come home and report to my spouse, oh, I had our son's meeting today and XYZ thing. And here's the copy of the paperwork. And since we divorced um, and since Zoom (laughs) <laughs> He's now participated. And, and, and since we divorced, we, he didn't participate. I still participated and gave him sort of a report. It was essentially the same kind of conversation when we were married. Here's what we did and here's what we signed. And then now with the advent of Zoom, you know, he was able to participate because he could dial in from home as opposed to having to drive from his office to the school building. And he participated and, and learned, as I'd been telling him for several years, it's really not the most exciting of meetings and it's pretty fast and in 20 minutes you're done, but at least he had that experience. I think it's important for parents to always keep each other in the loop. One of the things that I find that parents don't do or struggle with is this um, sharing of passwords when your child has an online schooling fill in the blank where you can, in Dade County, for instance, you can log into the parent portal. Um, and check the school, check your students, your child's grades or classwork or whatever. And some of that information should be shared information, even though it's a password. Both parents should have the opportunity to, to log in and check and see what's happening. And so maybe that's kind of the thing you put in your parenting plan. It's, it's hard to make someone go to a meeting. Right. Right. But it's, it's easy to say parents shall, shall, shall share passwords and login information to log into their child's school. Parents shall share teacher contact information to be able to have everyone be able to contact teachers and, or parents shall include each other on emails to their child's teacher. Very good. There's that sort of thing. And so, you know, when I have a 
uh, an email with my child's teacher, I always copy my spouse on it. So he's aware or my Mm -hmm. ex-spouse on it. So he's aware of what I'm saying to the teacher. And I, and, and this is, this is a big reach for some people, but I like to use we language. So I will write, dear teacher, you know, my child's dad and I would like to let you know that X, Y, Z thing. We are here to help you. Please let us know. And so it's very much that I and my ex-spouse as parents of the same child, we're on the same team. And so I- I I can't. Yes. That makes such a difference, especially in the eyes of the teacher too. It takes the pressure off because I can't tell you how many times as a teacher, I would get emails like my ex doesn't seem to care about this, but you know, here's the issue. And I was like, oh my goodness, being a child of divorce. And then seeing that like play out with my students, it was so challenging, but I think that we language is, is the best emotionally evolved thing you can do. And I no doubt that you do it so well. (laughs) And, And you know, and I would encourage moms to do it even if they don't feel it because it's transformative for not only your relationship with your ex, which hopefully you're working on improving, but it's transformative for your relationship with your child's medical providers, mental health providers, teachers. It, 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 as you pointed out, right, your experience as a special education teacher, when you received an email that used we language, it helped you be more collaborative with that family and you didn't have to be defensive and you didn't have to think about, you know, oh gosh, am I going to get you know sued or brought in to right. testify, right? right? So I find that it, it frees up my children's team when I use we language. It's better for my kids if I do that because it frees up those folks that I need to talk to, to talk to me more freely. Well, that's the bottom line of all of this is what is better for our kids. And I think in any co-parenting situation, we have to take a step outside of our selves and our control issues and our egos and really focus on what's best for the children. But even more so when you're dealing with children who have special needs or a more difficult time going back and forth. So let's take a step outside the parenting plan for a second. Um, Some of the biggest challenges that come up for my clients that we work on is introducing a child to a new partner, or maybe there's a blended family situation, or just the difference in certain daily things like bedtime or brushing teeth or whatever it is. How do you suggest parents can make just the little day-to-day things easier on their children? So the the first question about introducing uh, new important people in their lives, which may be a significant other, maybe a romantic partner. I think it's important to talk about it first with your children before you show them who this person is, right? It's sort of a, a preview. Hey, I, I've met someone. Hey, I'm, I'm seeing someone. I, I might be dating them. Um, your children actually don't care about you in that relationship. <laughs> Um, children always and, and always will center themselves in the center of their universe. Right. And so they only want to know how your relationship will impact them. <laughs> and benefit them. <laughs> and benefit them. True Are story. there toys involved here? Yes, 100%. True, 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 true story. I started to date someone new who is now my, my new husband. And I told my children about it at dinner. Oh, by the way, I've started to see someone. He's really nice. And I I hope maybe you guys will get to meet him. My then nine-year-old 
their very first question, the very first question they had about my new significant other was, well, do I call them dad? Oh, yeah. That was their first question. And no, you have a dad was my answer. You'll call him by his first name. But, you know, it was just it was a question about, like, how does this impact me? What do I do? It wasn't about well, mommy, do you like him? Like, that was not the question. <laughs> Does he meet question. your needs, mommy? <laughs> it was not, not at all. So, so the first step, of course, is to sort of preview the notion and, and assure your children that they remain your top priority. And so say, you know, have language around, well, if, if you don't like them, if, if, I, if I determine that they are not good for you, then, then you don't get to meet them right? That I will be your gatekeeper. I will be your protector. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, if I determine at some point that this is not okay, then right, then it's not okay. And I'm going to keep you safe kind of right. thing. Um, as it relates to things like teeth brushing or bedtimes, um, certainly in your own home, you, the trains run on time, whatever time that is <laughs> um, for teeth brushing and bedtime and whatever your routines are or your routines it's helpful to share them with your ex, but it's not often helpful to share it more than once or share it more than twice, right? Things will be different in each parent's home. And mm-hmm. while, while children adapt to and want to have routine, and that's important, in general, children can be flexible enough to have two different routines in two different households. I've noticed that with my own child who is a stickler for doing things in a certain way all the time. I found that she, her dad was never going to do things exactly the same as me. Even if we were still married, we're just very different in how we do things. She has her own little world there. She has the way in which she goes to bed, the way where she likes to sit and eat, as opposed to in my house, she likes to sit at a certain counter. She likes to sit at the coffee table at his house. The point of this is that they've developed their own routine. And when I realized she was comfortable in it, I really took a step back and stopped pushing because my routine isn't the best routine. It's just what works here. And I think a lot of parents need to see that it's okay that if they have their own thing and it's working and the teeth are getting brushed and they're not, you know, rotting out of their heads, then we're good. Right. I I mean, there's a threshold question, right? Or you can develop a series of threshold questions, right? Does my child brush their teeth? (laughs) Yes. The answer is yes. Then you don't care whether they do it standing on one foot or two. Right. 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 Does my child use soap once every 24 hours? Yes. You don't care what time of day it happens and whether or not they use all the hot water in your ex's house. So it's those kinds of threshold questions. Did my child eat? Yes. Did my child eat a healthy, nutritious lunch that I put in a little bento box and I cut little heart shapes out of their sandwiches or whatever it is that we do as moms because we do those things? No, but they had a sandwich and it was fine. Right. And so we have to keep, keep in mind our own. But the things that we want to do are ideals, but really there are some basic thresholds. And if those are being met, that's all we need to do. I repeat this all the time to people because it was something that was really hard for me to learn myself. I'm, I'm also a bit type A and regimented in routine. But if their basic human needs are being met, like what else, what else can we ask for? You know, I, I think it takes time and experience as a co-parent to realize that your way is not the best way. You know, that, that perfect little bento box doesn't mean 
you know, my child's not going to be giving half her food away to the kids at her table. You know, the same if my ex sends her potato chips, whatever it is, the kids just need to feel safe and that their basic needs are being met and everything else is just noise for a typically developing child. So basic needs met great. Is there anything more we need to add to the mix before we wrap up when it comes to a child with special needs? So I think a child with special needs, it's, it's, you, you need to meet the basic needs, but that list of basic needs might be longer. And so when you're asking about is, is the, are the teeth being brushed? Um, that's an important question. Might be harder to brush teeth if your child can't brush their own teeth, mm -hmm. but it's still a question that needs to be answered. And a question about bathing might be a harder thing to do if your child can't yet bathe themselves and mm -hmm. needs assistance, but it still is a basic need that should be met. And then are there other basic needs that are, are different basic needs for your child um, in terms of medication, in terms of are there physical therapy exercises that must be done every single day? Are, and, and then you're going to, again, rely back on your child's team to tell you if you need to do those things. But those become new basic needs that you as a parent need to ensure are being done in both households because it becomes a medical need. Yes. Listen, parenting, co-parenting, life with children is always going to be a full-time job, isn't it? A hundred percent. I think it's the, um, what's the shirt? It's motherhood. The only, the only job, the only job you'll ever love or something. There's some, some cute little thing. <laughs> yeah. Or motherhood, the, the toughest hood I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you seem to make it that much easier for all of us. And I appreciate your advice today. If there was one thing you can say to a mom who is just starting out on her co-parenting journey and is just up to her ears and anxiety over co-parenting a child with special needs, what would you say? I would tell the mom that they are enough, that they are doing a great job, and that they're really lucky that their child picked them to be their mom. Oh, you're to make that's, us that's cry what, over here. That's, that's what I would tell them because the moms of special needs children are exceptional parents and I'm always immensely proud of them. I'm immensely proud of you. I'm so grateful we're <laughs> connected. You're just, you're really, you bring so much harmony and peace to the families that need it and to our listeners today here too. If Thank anybody you. has more questions for you or wants to learn more about you, where can they find you? Uh, the best place to find me is on Instagram. So that's uh, the attorney therapist, all one word. And you can find me there. You can also find my law firm on Facebook and on the web, but uh, that's, that's where I am. And to everybody listening, I hope that this episode brought you some resolve and calmed you down a bit. I know sometimes all we need to hear is that it will be okay because it will be okay. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to chatting with everybody again. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.